pastor, will your congregation benefit from a better understanding of LDS theology and biblical techniques for sharing the good news with your Mormon neighbors? Lance and Grace will be pleased to offer a one-part workshop or multi-day symposium at your church. Contact them at www.askyourbishop.com. How is everybody this really chilly night? (laughs) All right. The coffee's hot, exactly. Well, as an introduction, I'm Grace. My husband is Lance Earl. We have been married for 46 years. Yeah, 46 years with that man. (laughs) Uh, 40 years of that was in the LDS church. He was born and raised in the LDS church, and I, I heard him say earlier today that I was converted into the church. No, I was never truly converted, but I did join the church as a, uh, what was I, 20, 19, 20, 20? And there's a lot of pressure when you have the missionaries, oh, come on, come on, join our church, join our church and stuff. And I was this shy little girl that didn't know anything out of my own and didn't know how to say no. So I joined. But I think God had his hand in that because that's when I met him, which was definitely a good thing. But anyway, so we have five children. We have one boy and then four girls. Yeah, girls. They're fun. (laughs) I think boys are easy. My son was a piece of cake. My girls, another story, but that's okay. I love each and every one of them. We have 17 grandchildren. And, you know, raising my kids and stuff, I'm busy being a mom and I'm working and did the Sunday church thing every week and didn't really think a lot about it. But as my kids were started growing up and leaving the nest, going away, all of a sudden things just started clicking in my head. And I thought, something just didn't feel right. Every time the Mormon church would come out and make a change to their doctrine or whatever it was, I'd have something come into my head, and it, it, I kept saying, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I kept thinking, hmm, I think I've heard that before. But every time, changes were being made quite often. Well, not like they are today, but quite often they would be made, and I would hear that in my head all the time. But I didn't want to say anything to Lance yet. I just felt that he was so strong in the church. I thought, you know, just just ride the wave. <laughs> just keep going. And then about, I guess we were married about 38 years. All of a sudden, I saw a change in him. And I didn't feel like it was a good change. I saw him becoming very withdrawn, kind of depressed. And we call them now, we call them the dark years. But I'd be at work, and he'd call me almost every day. And those days that he didn't call, it's like, ooh, that's scary to me, because he didn't call. 
And there were a few days that I was actually afraid to go home to find, afraid of what I might find. I mean, things were getting that bad. And then one day, in December 2016, he came to me at the, in the kitchen and he says, I don't know how to say this, but I don't think I can be Mormon anymore. And I said, huh, really? Let me think about this for a few days. And I went into our bedroom and I'm going, yes, yes, yes. This sounds... Didn't want to say anything because I thought, you know, something may have happened that had caused him to make that statement. And then he might say, oh, the next day. Never. I, I was just talking. So I gave him about three days and he was serious. He said, I'm done. I can't be Mormon anymore. And oh my gosh, what a great day that was. We ordered two brand new Bibles, red letter Bibles, because I didn't want anything to do with that quad, that great big thick bookend. <laughs> and, um, when the UPS driver showed up at our house with our new Bibles, we, it was like Christmas for us. <laughs> and we rushed out, we got our package, we opened it up, got our Bibles, and that's when we knelt down. Before we started reading or anything, we just knelt down at our kitchen table and we said, God, we don't know what it takes to get to know you, but that's what we want. We want to know who you are, and it doesn't matter if we lose family, friends, our children, our job, our home. It, it was that important to us that we found out who God truly was. We wanted to know him. And then we opened up and started reading. And it was amazing because we'd sit in bed and we'd be reading to each other, and... We'd stop and go, huh, who put that in the Bible? Because we'd never heard of some of the stuff at all. And there were, it was, it was just so amazing to us. Our eyes were just totally opened. And our hearts were open, and we were so ready to hear what God had for us. It was just amazing. So anyway, that's kind of our story in a nutshell of how we got to that point and I'm going to turn the rest of it over to him. Grit and Grace is our story. It is the story of rescue from Mormon chains and redemption in Christ Jesus. Check the link in the show notes below. From the day they were married, Lance and Grace wandered in the wilderness of Mormonism 40 long years. God used this time of preparation so they might assist Christian brothers and sisters in their outreach to Mormon friends and associates. Hear more at askyourbishop.com. Reading the Bible was such a discovery for us, and I just have to tell on her on this one thing. We were sitting up in bed our first time through the Bible, and we got to Acts. And Acts 2, and it says something to the effect of then came the day of Pentecost. And she was reading, and I was listening, and I said, stop, 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 stop. Before you go any further, I want to know everything you know about Pentecost. And she was so cute, she said, um, I've heard of it, 
Um, I think it's something the Catholics do. And that was, that was her best answer. And the sad thing was, I could give her so much crap for being so dumb, but I didn't know any different. I just didn't know any different. It's the birthday of the church. It's God keeping his promise to send the comforter. It's such an important day. And we're going, um, we didn't know. We didn't know. So anyway, let's, let's get going. I, as I said today in church, you were all in church in one of the sessions or the other day, right? Okay. As, as I said today, faith comes by hearing. It's Romans 10, 17, I think. Romans 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And when, when I first would try to reach out to the Mormon people, I thought all I have to do is show them everything that's wrong and they'll be smart enough to figure it out. And everywhere I went and everything I did, I made enemies. Everywhere I went, everything I did, I, they just built walls. And, and things got shut down and we couldn't talk, we couldn't communicate. It was terrible. And the reason was I wasn't doing it according to God's instructions. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. I should have come to them with the word of God. So today we're going to talk about a couple different ways that I like to approach the Mormon people. And maybe you can use these, and maybe not. Our website is askyourbishop.com. We did that on purpose because it's really fun to stand out on the street as state conference is getting out and all the Mormons are rolling by and you hold stand there with your sign and it says, askyourbishop.com. And they get so excited because they know I'm one of them. And because they think I'm one of them, they're going to go look and see what they ought to be asking their bishop. And when they get there, they see these discussions like I'm going to share now. And it's really fun. We were sitting in one of Pocatello's restaurants one day having lunch, and, and a guy came up and he said, you're the Ask Your Bishop guy, aren't you? I said, yeah. He said, I, I saw you standing at the entrance to Walmart. And I said, oh, okay. And he said, he said, so I went to your website because I'm LDS. And I said, oh, great. Well, what'd you think? He said, well, I read through it and I was so, so confused that I took all the questions you put up and I went and asked my bishop. And that's what we want them to do is go ask your bishop so they can see that, that there's just no answers to some of these questions inside of Mormon theology. So let's talk about my favorite go-to. I was down at the um, Utah State Fair. We had a booth down there, a Christian booth, and had some really great opportunities to talk to some people. I'm just going to share one experience that happened there. I wish they would all go this way, but... I, I go to the people and I say, the gospel. Is it important that we have the right gospel? Is it important that the gospel we have is the gospel of Jesus Christ? And of course, what are they going to say? They're going to say, yes. Because what? They think theirs is, right? And so, uh, after we have this, this point where we agree, I ask them, do you know where the gospel is defined in Scripture? And they say, well, it's, it's everywhere. And I say, well, actually, do you know where the gospel is defined in Scripture? Actually defined. And if you would like to join me, it's 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verses 1 through 4. 
And, and I love this, and actually I'm in the ESV, and I'm going to talk about it from the King James Version because I like that better, and, and they'll accept that easier. But it's in the first four verses, Paul says, I declare to you the gospel. I stop right there. This is an apostolic declaration. This isn't Paul scratching his head and thinking, huh, I wonder if this is what it is. No, this is an apostolic declaration. He declares to us the gospel. Wherein you stand, he says, or wherein we stand. This is where we stand. This is the hill we die on. This is where we plant our flag. This is where we draw a line in the sand. And we will not be moved. Now, why won't we be moved? Paul continues, and by which you are saved. So that's why it's important. Now, Paul goes on and he says, if you'll keep three things in memory, keep these in memory, live as if they're true, trust in them, you'll be saved. Paul says the first is that we remember that Jesus died for our sins. And, of course, there's, there's another point of agreement. They agree that Jesus died for our sins, and they think that's a good thing, and it is. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. We talk about some of the some of, of what happened in the Old Testament and how it prophesied of Jesus going clear back to the first time God said, no, 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 that green apron's got to go. And the first blood sacrifice happened when God made for them coats of skins. It, the coming of Jesus was prophesied again and again and again. It says that his hands and feet will be pierced. Long time before Romans ever thought of this crucifixion stuff talks about Jesus again and again and again. So Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. They go, that's great. And he was buried. And they say, that's true. And I say, and he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. And they say, that's great. Can you see what we're doing? We're creating all of these points where we agree. We're going to have a huge divergence here in a minute. So then we, we talk a little bit about, isn't it wonderful that Jesus did for us what we can't do for ourselves? We have screwed things up and messed things up and sinned and been stupid so long and so often that we can't even remember all of our sins. And if, we can't, if you can't even remember them, how are you going? How are you going to even repent, right? So, so far we're, we're in total lockstep. I ask them, is that the gospel? They say, yes. I say, is that the good news? Because gospel means good news. And they know that, and they say, well, yeah. Yeah, that's great news. Do you agree that that's the gospel? Well, of course we agree. And I say, well, and here's the rub for me. This is where I struggle. You see, on the LDS website, in their uh, instruction manuals, it says, the gospel in its fullness includes every law, covenant, commandment, ordinance, and principle that you must live in order to be exalted. So in order to become a God, you have to live every law, covenant, commandment, ordinance, and principle. And so I say, if I give you a pen and paper, will you make me a list? Oh, no, there's too much. We... We couldn't do that because the fact is most of us would be would be stretched to try to 
write down all Ten Commandments, right? You know, I mean, we're familiar with them, we recognize them, but to, to sit down and write them all out and go, oh, what was that tenth one? Where, well, what was that? And so they have to remember every law, covenant, commandment, ordinance, principle. Well, now that is everything in the law of Moses that was restored. That's all of that Leviticus stuff, 600 and something commandments, right? Plus, that's every new law and ordinance and principle that the LDS church has introduced. The last principle being that if you say Mormon, it's a victory for Satan. All of these things they would have to remember. They have to live. Every law, covenant, commandment, ordinance, and principle. Can you write it down for me? They say, I can't. And this is where it gets really interesting. I ask them, if the gospel is a list of things so long that you can't write it down, how can you know you're living it? I've never gotten anything back from these folks but a blank stare. How can you know you're living a law or living a gospel if you can't even articulate what the requirements of living that is? And they can't do it. And then we take it one step further because we've already with them confirmed that gospel means good news. It's great news what Jesus did for us. But we take it one last step and we say, if the gospel is a list of laws, covenants, commandments, ordinances, and principles so long that you can't even write it down and therefore you can't know you're living it, how is that good news? Can you see the trap? The people have the gospel that their church puts out. They can't tell you what it is and they can't tell you why it's good news. And then we can go back to the good, good news of the gospel. It's so simple. Where's my little friend? Oh, she's watching a movie. She's abandoned us. The gospel is so simple, she can understand it. The gospel is so simple that she can make sense of those three points and she can live her life trusting in that. And that, and that gives us such freedom such absolute perfect freedom that we can know what the gospel is and we can live according to it because it makes sense. We can comprehend it. Now, one of the things that we love to do when we talk to our LDS friends is we love to dig in. We got them now. We've got them twice just staring at us with these big blank eyes. They don't know what to do. So let's hit them again, right? No. No. If they are in that situation where they have no answers and you can tell that their head's clicking and they're thinking, oh my, oh, oh my gosh, I, I don't know. Leave them alone. Just leave them alone. Because what, is it, what does it tell us that, that Paul and Apollos, they do the planting and the watering. That's what we've just done. We've just planted a seed. Who brings the growth? Christ brings the growth. It's time for us to step back and let that seed swell. Don't go get stupid now and dig in and make them angry. Just let that seed swell. But occasionally, when after I do this, I get a sense that we need to go further because they're still not buying it. They're still digging in. And so we can say, so we just looked at two Gospels, right? We looked at the Gospel 
in 1 Corinthians, the three things, Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, he was buried, he rose again on the third day. And then we looked at the other one. Does every law, covenant, commandment, ordinance, and principle that's a list so long we can't name it. Are these different gospels? Will you agree with me that they're different? They will say, yeah. We take them right to Galatians 1. Now, I want to encourage you to be careful here because Galatians 1 is a very pointed, pointed doctrine that is hard for the Mormon people to do. So if God's not telling you go here, just leave them with the first. Let them, let them, let them work on that for a while. We get them to admit, yes, these are two different Gospels. And we go right into Galatians 1, starting in verse 6. He says, if we or an angel from heaven should bring you a gospel other than the gospel that you have already received, we must be anathema, a Greek, accursed. We will be accursed if we bring you, even if an angel from heaven brings you a gospel that doesn't line up, he will be accursed. Now, the, the crazy thing is, and the reason that I encourage you to use a little bit of restraint when you go down this road, they will always, almost always, they will say, are you telling me that I'm accursed? What should be my answer then? I say, no, no, I'm not, I'm not telling you anything. I just quoted Paul. He said, if you bring another gospel, you're cursed. It's just Paul. It's not me. And and uh, another thing that you can do that is really interesting that you can share with them, are you familiar with the third article of faith? Are you familiar with the articles of faith that the Mormon church has? They have 13 articles of faith. And every young person in the church, me included, have to memorize all 13 before we can graduate from primary at age 12 and go into the young men or young women's program. The third one says... We believe, well, let me back up for a minute. I talk a little bit about what the Galatians were believing, the gospel that they believed. Because, see, Paul established his church among them, a church focused on Christ. And then these whack-doodle Pharisee Judaizers went up there, these false teachers, and they said, oh, this Jesus thing, Jesus is good. Jesus is a good idea. But the thing is, Jesus Plus, circumcision equals salvation. But it would became a conflict for, for the church because there were people that were saying, yeah, Jesus and circumcision is the real deal. And so Paul went to Jerusalem to counsel with the apostles about what this really is. And so circumcision was their focal point. That was the thing they were looking at the hardest. In Acts... When he went back and talked with, these, with the apostles, he said it's the Pharisees who came and they were saying that they must accept circumcision and live the law of Moses. We are right back to every law, covenant, commandment, ordinance, and principle, aren't we? All those things. That is what those people were forcing Galatian Christians to believe. And so we help them see that these are two different Gospels. And I'm not telling you you're accursed. Paul is the one who said it. If the Gospel you are believing is not the Gospel that he taught.
And they go, oh, man. And so then you go to Galatians chapter 5. And Galatians chapter 5 is just so cool. Because in Galatians chapter 5, it says, if you accept circumcision, you must accept the whole law. You're, you become indebted to the whole law. How many of you want to live according to the whole law? Every law, covenant, commandment, ordinance, and principle. Woo! Me neither. And and it's not just it's not just taught there. If we go to James two ten, what does it say? It says, "If you live the whole law and stumble on one point, you're guilty of all of it." So if that's the case. If that's true and I don't have someone to save me, if I bark at my wife just because the eggs are a little overdone or whatever, I'm guilty of violating a point of that law. And now I am guilty of violating the whole law. So I would like to introduce to you Lance Earl, the adulterer, the thief, the pedophile, I'm guilty of all of it. If I'm guilty of any of it, I'm guilty of all of it. If that's how I would be saved, right? I don't want to be that guy. And so then we continue reading in chapter 5, and it says, If you would think you can be saved by the law in part or in whole, Christ died for no reason. His shed blood... The miracle of what he did on the cross, the very thing that you were just saying, is the good news that he died for our sins. It doesn't, doesn't matter in your case. Has no bearing on you. Has no salvific power for you because you've rejected it and gone after another gospel. He says, Christ died for no reason and you're fallen from grace. You can land or sink some pretty deep nails with this. But again, I caution you about going to Galatians. It's a powerful place to go, but it's an easy place to get people just wadded up and, and angry. They get so frustrated they don't want to talk to you. So be, be very careful. Lest I forget, at our website, askyourbishop.com, we're actually working on a second book. And this is 10 essential discussions to have with the LDS people. I've just shared two of them with you, the gospel and, and accursed. Anyway, there's, there's 10 there, and they're available to you. Even though our book is not published yet, the PDF manuscript with all of its spelling errors and all of its, all of its mistakes, it's there for you to go and use. And so if you have any idea of what you'd like to talk about or if you're looking for something that you can say to people. This is a place where you can go and you can find these discussions and you can see how you can use the Word of God to show people the truth and then just ask them questions, never once telling them that they're wrong, never once telling them that, 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 that they've chosen a dark way. You just ask questions and let them soak them up and let them try to I try, try to deal with them. One last story. Um, bishop and stake president. Are you guys familiar with the positions of bishop and stake president? Do you know what they are? Anybody not? Okay. We'll cover this real quick. A bishop would be the equivalent of Pastor Sam back there. 
He's over a congregation, an LDS congregation. Now, you've seen the Mormon churches. In those Mormon churches, there are generally three congregations. They call them wards. Oh, boy, we got her. Okay. <laughs> anyway, there's, there's generally three wards in that church, and they, they, they meet on a rotating basis. And so there's three bishops over those three wards. Now, in a, in a regional area, there's anywhere from 10 to 15 wards in a stake. A stake president is the guy who's over those 15 wards. So he's the supervisor of a group of bishops who are the supervisors over various congregations. So a bishop and stake president came to my house. And we sat on the porch and we drank lemonade or whatever Gracie was serving up that day. Oh, and Gracie, I, I, before I finish this story, we'd been saved for about a year. And one day we were riding to church, and my sweet wife, she looked over at me and she said, am I different? Am I changed? Am I new? Do you see anything in me? And I said, oh my gosh, yes. Because see, as a Mormon, she sucked. She was the worst Mormon. I was scared to death. I was going to be, I was going to get my godhood and have to go do it with another girl. Because <laughs> she was terrible. So anyway, yes, I just said, oh my, oh my gosh, you, yes, I see so much in you that has just changed. Well, you know that Sarai became Sarah, right? And Abram became Abraham. And... Saul became Paul. Who'd I forget, honey? Oh, well, anyway, it happens in the Bible. So we're writing to church, and she had been Mindy for 60 years. That's Mindy. It's a nickname short for her first name. She had been Mindy to me for 40 years. She had been Mindy for the first 60 years of her life. And she said, well, if they can do it, I want you to start calling me by my real name. And I went, huh? What are you talking about? And she said, I am Grace. That's my name. That's her middle name. And so I tried it on. It fit like a glove. I had called her Mindy for 40 years. And you would think that would be a struggle, right? To suddenly start calling your wife something else. Of course, there are some things I didn't have to quit. I, I still call her Dingbat. But there are some things that... <laughs> but it was crazy. I... I tried that on, Grace, I just tried it, it fit like a glove, and I never even struggled to call her anything but Grace. It was a God thing. So anyway, that, that was my aside. So I have these two men sitting on my porch, bishop and stake president, and I just sat there and waited to see what they were going to do, what they had come to say, and, and we did a little, had a little chit-chat, and finally they said, so we're here to invite you to come back to the church. Who who of you were in the second session today? I can get a little excited sometimes, huh? Woo! I said, yeah, let's do it. Because you see, if I go back to Mormonism, it solves a whole bunch of problems. My relationship with my family would be cured. Because right now I have seven brothers. Most of them won't even speak to me. My relationship with my mom is strained. My relationship in the community is strained. So, yeah, let's do it. And they got all excited. And I said, but I need something from you. Stake president, where will you go when you die? And he said, well, I don't know right now. Because, see, Mormon doctrine tells them that they must endure to the end. 
And then there will be the judgment, and then they will be assigned to the celestial, terrestrial, or, or celestial, terrestrial, or telestial kingdoms. And so he said, I, I don't know yet. I'm hoping for celestial, but I don't know. And I said, that's interesting to me. And again, faith comes by hearing the word of God. I opened my Bible to 1 John 5, 13. And this is John. He's, he's an old apostle now. He's got, he's got 300,000 on his odometer, you know. He is an old apostle. He's been down the road a lot. And he says, I write these things that you may know that if you have the Son, you have eternal life. I said to those two men, that's a present tense promise. It says that I can know that I have eternal life. And I told them, I know right now. I have eternal life. I know it in this minute, in this instant, in this hour. I have eternal life. If <gasps> is my last breath, my next breath is with God. I have eternal life right now. I said, give me something equal or better from Mormon doctrine, and I'll return and you can baptize me. And they said, well, okay, that sounds fair, because they have all kinds of beautiful scriptures that have these kind of promises in them. And I said, okay, 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 but the Bible tells us that God is not the author of confusion. So bring me whatever you have, and I will accept it if it can't be contradicted by other equally binding Mormon scripture or doctrine. It's that simple. Bring me something that isn't contradicted by something else in your church. And they go, oh, ooh. Will you give us a week? Because, see, no matter what they would give me, they have, they have Doctrine and Covenants 2515. And that says, keep the commandments continually. And unless you keep the commandments continually, how many of you do that? Every commandment, every day, no sweat. Okay, so the only one that does it that I know of is my wife. But <laughs> keep the commandments continually, and unless you keep the commandments continually, where I am, you cannot come. So if we take that and stack that on top of any assurance that they would give me, I would say I can't keep the commandments continually. Can you? So anyway, they said, can you give us a week? Just give us a week to prepare and we'll come back with this assurance. I said, sure, that, that's not a problem. That was in the summer of 2020. I'm still waiting. This has been a long week. But you know, I live in a small community. And so I could, I, I could use this as an excuse to dig in to beat them up, to attack them. But we live in a small community. When I go get the mail, I see them. When I buy gas, I see them. And all I have to do is say, hey, how are you? Glad hand them. Be nice. You know, I'm still willing and waiting. Whenever you want to come, whenever you're ready, come. Do you think that's a, sh a stone in their pebble? Uh, a stone in their pebble. A pebble in their shoe. Do you think that's a problem for them? They've gone two years, two and a half years now. And they can't find one thing that is equal or better 
than what this old apostle on his last leg promised me. And he gave me the promise of Jesus Christ. It was actually Jesus promising me that through this apostle. I, you don't have to say more. You lay these down and you let the Mormon people chew on them and you let the Holy Spirit work on them. So here's what I'd like to suggest. As we're writing our book, this will be edition one. It'll have those 10 conversations. If you have a passage of Scripture that just anchors you, it is your go-to pasture. Pa it's your go-to passage. It is the one when people say, what is the one passage that holds you up, that lifts you up, that gives you strength, that gives you courage when it's so hard? What is that pastor? Oh, I pastor again. I, I, I keep looking back at Sam and he screws me up. Pastors, pastors. What is that passage? If you have, <laughs> if you have one of those, call me. Our website address is askyourbishop.com. Perfectly, a perfect URL for Mormon people. They can't forget it. Askyourbishop.com. If you have a passage that you love, call me, share it with me. And I'll do everything I can because God left me in that church for 60 years so that I would know a lot. And I know a lot. You call me, and we'll see if we can't write a discussion around your passage that you can then take back and say, well, here's what God says. This is the passage that I love. This is why I love it. And here's my question for you relative to that passage. I will be just thrilled to help you do that. And you can just take your favorite passage. Don't take mine. Don't take my leftovers. Take your favorite passage and share it with your Mormon friends. And then let them chew on it and let the Holy Spirit chew on them. So anyway, that's, in a nutshell, that's what we do. We don't, I did, for a time I would go out and, and I would launch verbal attacks against their doctrine, against their prophets, against their, and all it did was build walls. I don't do that anymore. Because if all I've done is read scripture and asked them a couple questions and I walk away, it, they find it very hard to be really angry with me. And we just let those things rest where they are. So that would be my encouragement to you. You hear a knock and open to find two young men with white shirts and black name tags. Are you prepared to share the biblical Jesus or will you simply send them away? AskYourBishop.com is here to help. God, our Father, we... We come before you, and God, we're thankful. We're so blessed. We live in the heart of this incredible mission field. We live in a place where most people don't know you, and most people think they do. And, and because they think they do, God, it is so hard to talk to them, and it's so hard to reason with them. And yet we know that they need you. And more importantly, well, not more importantly, God, but additionally, these people desire you more than they even know. Even if they can't comprehend that they do, they desire this freedom. They desire this assurance. They desire this hope. God, we ask you to embolden us. God, we ask you to give us the courage to stand 
and to share the gospel with these people, to lift them up. God, we're so thankful for every blessing that we have, and most of all, we're thankful that we are of the body of Christ, that we have that salvation that John talked about, that we can know with an absolute assurance that we have even now eternal life. God, we are so thankful for that. We ask you to lead us and guide us and give us boldness in declaring the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.